Welcome to the Living with Alzheimer's podcast. On this show, we share Ginger's journey and speak with subject matter experts about a variety of dementia-related topics. Ginger, a former English teacher and librarian, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2019. This diagnosis has changed her world and has given her a unique perspective on life and living. I'm Christoph, Ginger's son and full-time caregiver. I've created this podcast as a way to share the best practices I'm learning about caring for a person with dementia. Along the way, we'll document my mother's journey through her unique storytelling. You can subscribe to the Living with Alzheimer's podcast and find all the resources we discuss at lwalz.com. In this episode of Living with Alzheimer's, I interview Nicole Brackett, the Director of Care Delivery and Quality for HomeWatch Caregivers. We discuss the many services HomeWatch Caregivers provides to families, the importance of personalized care plans, and specific examples of the culture shift Nicole's organization is embracing by focusing on the person and not their disability. We go on to discuss how families can distinguish between care that can be provided in the individual's home and when a care community may be a better fit. Nicole also outlines the five R's of caregiving to help caregivers sustain quality care without burning out. The episode wraps up with a conversation about a free resource for caregivers called Pathways to Wellbeing with Dementia from Dementia Action Alliance as well as a caregiver certification program that HomeWatch Caregivers is developing with Dr. Al Power. Well, hi, Nicole, and uh, thank you for joining me with the uh, Living with Alzheimer's podcast. I know that uh, you recently uh, were named the Director of Care, Deliver, and Quality for Home watch caregivers, and I would like to know, uh, and listeners uh, would like to know more about the organization, but also what you do for them. Yes. Uh, hi, Christoph. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, home watch caregivers is an experienced network of providers of full service home care for individuals of all ages. Um, we offer personalized approaches to care, um, which means customizing care plans. Uh, based on the individual's needs and preferences. And we are a network of 236 locations across the United States and growing. Um, our in-home care services include, like I mentioned, care for people of all ages from infants to aging parents and ranging from wellness to personal care needs. Um, we take care of postpartum moms. Um, we provide respite care for individuals after hospital care and those living with chronic conditions, including those living with dementia. Um, at HomeWatch Caregivers, we have introduced uh, professionally developed tools to help screen and evaluate clients, as well as offering that specialized training to our caregivers that supports that customized delivery and that approach to care. That's a lot. That's a lot of areas of service. Yes. And and so what what do you do for them, Nicole? Um, well, as my title mentions, and it might 
warrant a little more information. I am the director of care delivery and quality. So I am responsible for um, ensuring that um, new offices get off to a good start with a good foundation of providing that quality care. Um, a primary focus for me is making sure that they uh, have trained high quality caregivers and providing that platform for them to be able to train caregivers. Um, you want people who call a company to ensure that they are getting the best high quality. And so that's kind of what I oversee and have done in my position has evolved over the years, but um, definitely wanting to make sure that everybody gets off to a good start and, you know, we can protect the brand through high quality care. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. So I've, I'm always curious how people come into the role that they're in. How did you come to do this thing that you do? Well, um, Christoph, I have always been passionate about mentoring and teaching others to provide that high quality care um, for those needing assistance in their home. And that could be, home could be wherever that person is. So um, I also, many years ago, became an ancillary instructor for the Colorado CNA program and taught students who have now moved on to become nurses. Um, also, early in my career, I was resolute about working with people living with dementia. And I'm going to use air quotes for your listeners. <laughs> no one wanted to go beyond that locked door which led to a secure unit for people living with a diagnosis of dementia. Yeah. You know, saying this is it, it, saying that it, it makes me feel um, like a given example of what stigma is, which is really sad um, because some people have diminished individuals by focusing on their diagnosis instead mm -hmm. of the person themselves. Mm -hmm. um, after many years, um, uh, after my maternity leave actually um, ended from having my first child, um, the Alzheimer's unit was the only position available in the area that I worked. And um, the shift hours made for a very long weekend, but it also allowed me to be home Monday through Friday and still earn a 40 hour week paycheck. Okay. Um, I look, uh, I took a position thinking that it was gonna be short term and it was not. I worked there for over four years and I absolutely fell in love with caring for those living with dementia and supporting their families. Wow. So you got from the, that's a locked door. I really don't want to be on the other side of it to falling in love with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think people have grown out of that stigma of being fearful of what to say to somebody or not knowing how to care or provide care or just simply not knowing the pathophysiology behind the disease itself. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned something about uh, the individual and uh, I had a guest who talked about how they focus on the individual and not on the condition and that that makes all the difference in the world about how you relate to somebody who has whatever their diagnosis is, but dementia specifically with all of its stigma around it. Absolutely. And, and I've had this experience as well. Um, I was out to hear some jazz with my mom because she really enjoys music. And so I try to get her out on occasion. And uh, while we were there at the venue, uh, which was a restaurant, you know, and you know, they had a really great jazz band that I know some of the musicians in. 
and uh, my mom got up and interacted with the people at the table next to us as if she knew them, which she didn't. And I was feeling embarrassed on uh, her behalf because she, I knew she didn't know them. And they were so gracious. They met her as the person. Um, and they did recognize that she had dementia. And then the gentleman uh, who was at the table that I happened to mention uh, something to when I you know, corralled her back to our table was like, yep, my mom had dementia also. So I, I knew that was probably what was going on. He was, she's fine. She can come over anytime she wants. I loved it. It was great. But that kind of uh, stigma around dementia typically causes a barrier um, to the person being able to interact with other people on a personal level. Yeah, that's a beautiful story, Christoph. And it reminds me of, you know, a lot of people are saying that, you know, people living with dementia need to have structure and they can't thrive with variety and spontaneity. And that's a perfect example of, you know, connecting with music and then just being able to live in that moment. So yep. uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good it was a good moment. So your bio mentions um, changing the culture of care and embracing a person-centered approach to care partnerships. And so that, we really were just talking about that. But what are mm -hmm. the driving factors for this focus and, and what are the hoped outcomes of the cultural change you're working toward? Yeah. So, you know, I believe that some of the driving factors are rooted in the recognition of the progressive nature um, of dementia, particularly Alzheimer's disease, which, you know, progresses more slowly than other types of dementia. Um, each stage of dementia requires varying levels of care, which is why creating personalized care plans are so important. Um, providing care with uh, a person-centered approach embodies the principles of what we refer to as the five R's of caregiving, and that's remain calm, respond to feelings, reassure, remove yourself to gain composure, and then return fully when the person you are caring for has calmed. Um, it is important to keep in mind that no matter how hard you try, you can never separate the emotional connection to your loved one, you know, from their expressions or behaviors, but you can try your best to respond in a manner that won't make the situation more difficult for either of you mm. um this this approach helps to uh foster deeper understanding and it really enables um, an efficient redirection with meaningful activities based on the individual's uh social history that's very important and i'll give you an example yeah. so if you um if you learn that the person likes fish find out what kind of fish they like and how do they like it cooked and then inquire, is there a special memory attached to that? Like going fishing at the lake in the summertime and then, you know, cooking the catch of the day for dinner. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, I've prepared so many meals for my mom and I know what her favorites are, but we don't really talk about it anymore. I just prepare it and, you know, present it. Um, and she always, you know, is shows a little glee if it's shrimp that's like i don't know why but that is her absolute favorite um <laughs> and she's a she's a chicken and shrimp girl and uh when i you know on the occasional uh meal when i pull the shrimp out she's just so ecstatic 
Um, but I don't really know why. Um, you know, it could just be a taste thing, but I bet there's some memories behind it. And I have never asked. So I'm going to have to do that. We're going to have to have a shrimp meal and I will ask. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So are there, can you repeat those five things again, the five R's? Yeah, for sure. So the five R's of caregiving are remain calm, respond to feelings, reassure, remove yourself to gain composure, and then return fully when the person you are caring for has calmed. Okay. Yep. I can see that. Um, I'll throw in another story. Um, I try to get my mom into the shower every day. And because she has um, progressed in her dementia now to the point where she's needing a lot more assistance, I'm having to, you know, do all of the getting her undressed and get the shower turned on and to the right temperature and all that kind of thing. And then she can pretty much do the rest by herself. But she's at that childlike stage where, you know, when I've had my little kids, you know, getting into the shower was sometimes not desirable. They did not want to. You know, there was some resistance. And there are days where she's like, oh, no, mm -mm, don't do that to me, you know, that kind of thing. And I had approached it initially with the, oh, pfft, no, that's definitely what we're doing <laughs> kind of approach, which didn't really calm the situation at all. And then finally went, duh, just do what you did with your kids, which was reassure them it's going to be okay. It will be nice mm -hmm. and warm and comfortable. And if the temperature's not right, you can tell me and we'll make it right. And then she gets in willingly. Um, mm -hmm. It's a totally different experience just by doing the one of your five hours, the reassure. Yeah, absolutely. And I just really think it, it could be the time of day and um, as it, there's many factors and, and there could even be role reversal, you know, you're mm -hmm. still her son and, yep. you know, so that might seem odd to her and it might, you know, also be that, you know, she feels exposed. So is there yep. a way of maybe doing a bath, you know, blanket or a towel that helps, you know, promote privacy and gaining that trust and, you know, from being exposed, et cetera. Yeah. We're, we're beyond that. We should, we, the, the discomfort of all that was mostly for me initially when I had to start helping her with all of that um, more and more and more intimately. And, um, you know, I had to get over the fact that this is my mom. Um, and once I moved beyond it, then it was fine. She doesn't have any, whole, you know, hang up with that at all. She's just like, you know, absolutely. Whatever. That's, that's you know, great. We need to get these clothes off or on fine, whatever. Um, you know, I need some assistance with toileting. Okay, well, fine, whatever. But I was the one who really had to get over that. Like, I am having to help my mom with her toileting. This is not what I was ever expecting to do. Absolutely. Total, Understandable. Total role reversal. So. Yeah. Um, so the uh, website mentions focusing on the person. And so I'm wondering how else we can work to really focus on the person in in the moment of caregiving yeah absolutely you know the shift in focus really addresses um the unique needs and preferences of each person 
And so knowing as much as you can about that person's rich history and their unique needs um, helps to personalize the care when when meaning uh, with meaning and um, with things that are familiar to them, you know, that really gains their trust. Um, individuals who are living with dementia also often tend to live with other chronic conditions like um, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, some have restricted mobilities, um, but all of that does not define the person. Things that were important to them before their diagnosis um, are still really important them to them today after their diagnosis and maybe even more so important. Mm -hmm. um, you see sometimes people shy away, like we talked about a little bit earlier, from relationships um, with those living with dementia and other conditions because they just aren't quite sure what to say to them. Um, they are still the same person. They thrive on that human connection with others the same as you and I would. Right. Um, if, if um, also, um, Christoph, in the cases that the caregiver must consider only nutritional needs, but also any dietary restrictions, and I really hate using that word restriction because mm -hmm. it really implies that that person has limited choices. And what we really want to do is maybe switch it to considerations because that that implies that we can offer healthy substitutions um, that can be explored when we're doing menu planning and meal preparation. Mm -hmm. um, if the individual faces mobility challenges, caregivers should also adapt assistance based on that specific situation, whether it involves using a walker, a wheelchair, or a mechanical lift, and then always remembering to in empower independence as much as safely possible. Um, we can have surplus safety. <laughs> we don't want to go there where we're putting somebody in like a glass house. Right. Um, some individuals are also more independent than others. So focusing, the focus should always be on involving that individual in their care decisions as much as willing and able to. Um, but by keeping engagement close to that person, we can strengthen as many domains of well-being as possible. And by domains, I'm referring things to things that are important to all of us, like um, identity, growth, autonomy, security, connectedness, things that are meaningful and joyful. Um, this is another way to put the person first, diet, you know, driving and directing and making the decisions about their own care. Um, I always like to refer to putting that diagnosis in the back seat, if you will. You know, the diagnosis came later. They were people first. In some instances, caregivers will need to learn what's closest to them from their loved ones. So making sure that we include everybody on the care partner team in that decision making so that we can make that a meaningful transition for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was um, one of the people that, you know, has, uh, you know, day to day, not day to day, week to week contact with uh, my mom was aware enough, present enough to be thinking about her uh, past. And she was a librarian, um, you know, she was an educator and a librarian and um, s suggested that maybe putting a, uh, a library of sorts in her space would be something that she would really uh, attach to. 
And so I, I just got a simple bookshelf, you know, and I printed out a big label. It just says Ginger's Library on top, you know, tape, I love it. tape the sign onto it. And now she literally thinks of it as her library and she will shuffle books and, you know, photo books, uh, magazines, <laughs> letters that she's received. They, they all go onto the shelf someplace in different orders every day. Um, you know, and, uh, she really engages with the thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me just by doing that one simple thing in her environment. Um, it actually, you know, keeps her more engaged. Um, because unfortunately there's a lot of things that have been recommended, you know, like coloring or doing puzzles or whatever that she hates playing a game hates, <laughs> you know, just like those are not her things, you know? Uh, and so I was, Absolutely. I was really just grasping at straws like, what, well, okay, well, what can I do? You know, you can only fold so much laundry. Um, and you know, so you know, I've had her wash the dishes and fold the laundry, and this library thing was, you know, a great addition. You know, those are things she actually enjoys doing. Now, she doesn't do them all very well anymore. You know, washing dishes, I often have to rewash. Uh, folding, I definitely have to refold. Um, and again, I had to get over that myself. Like, I was just like, okay, well, I'll just do it myself because why bother? But you know what? I mean, it gives her a way to engage, even though she doesn't do it very well. She feel, still feels like she's contributing. Absolutely. And she tires out quickly, too, long before the load of laundry is folded. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is, th those are great stories, great memories to hold on to, for sure. Yeah. But it, but it is just this constant state of adjusting um, and trying to stay aware of and mix in, you know, what it is that makes this person click. Um, because otherwise, as you say, she'd be locked down into this very sterile environment of what do I do with myself? Absolutely. Yeah. Very important to know them and right. their history. So uh, given that uh, HomeWatch Caregivers is focused on helping seniors age in place, how do you help families distinguish between care that can be provided in the individual's preferred environment, which is presumably their home, and when care uh, in a care community may be a better fit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I really think this depends on who you ask, as there are, yes, sure. definitely some dis distinctions. Um, you know, home care assistance is likely to be more appropriate if incorporated earlier, like when the need for assistance has been identified. Um, caregivers can help with activities of daily living and instrumental activities of daily living, often referred to as ADLs and IADLs, um, along with customizing engagement to those meaningful activities, getting to know them like we just mentioned. Um, home care is more likely to encourage the individual to participate in those daily activities. Um, and also by modifying those steps so that they can actively participate in completing the ADL and IADL. You, you mentioned earlier, Christoph, that it's important to modify those 
um, steps so that they can be successful. And it is very important to kind of meet them where they are at that time. Mm -hmm. So um, this approach applies to anyone who needs minimal assistance to full assistance. Um, a care community, on the other hand, may be a better fit for someone who is no who can no longer remain safe in their home and where a family member um, might prefer more around the clock care. Albeit if um, safety can be established within the home, a home care provider with specially trained skilled caregivers can assist the person and remain, you know, to remain in their home environment for the entirety of their journey. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a friend who, whose dad uh, was able with occasional assistance coming into the house to get by just fine. And dementia was playing a factor, but um, you know, he, he did okay. If uh, you know, meals were prepared and, he could just re, you know, reheat them. Um, he was fine. Uh, he could do that. Um, somehow or another, he kept up on his correspondence and bills. I don't know how, but um, because my mom lost that, that was one of the first things that she lost was her ability to keep up with uh, paying bills uh, and keeping all that organized. And so, our our first intervention with her before her. Um, diagnosis was to have a person just go in and help her with paperwork on occasion. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, I have uh, another friend whose mom really wanted to be on in her own space and it just wasn't workable anymore. She just wasn't safe there any longer, uh, both from a mobility standpoint and just from a, you know, forgetting things like you know, burners on a stove and, you know, that kind of thing, how to, how to eating properly, taking her meds properly, all those kinds of things had, had gone, um, you know, uh, to the point where she could not manage them consistently. And, you know, so now she's just recently in a uh, care community, uh, where they can do all of that for her. But that was a hard choice to, and, and of course there was a lot of resistance, on that choice, um, and I think they're still getting pushback <laughs> on that choice. But they, but the family knows it's the right thing for the for the individual. So, how do you help the individual with that transition when it becomes necessary? Yeah, you know, you bring up a really good point. Um, we were exploring, uh, and I still think the idea would work. Is once you identify that that person is better off. Um, living in a care community is to kind of slowly introduce them to the idea. Um, And it would be, you know, interviewing the people at the care communities and making sure that it's okay for that person to visit maybe during the activities time and, you know, take, take a tour of the facility and and participate um, in some activities during the day, just so that they can kind of get used to the environment and know that it's not like ripping the bandaid off, so to speak, where you're going from, you know, selling the home and moving them into something much smaller and unrecognizable. So I think introducing them slowly to that concept is a good route to go if that's what the family and uh, providers feel that is safest for that individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Um, and at this point, I'm able to, uh, you know, take care of my mom by living in, in her space. Uh, you know, that worked out for 
our family, uh, the situations being what they were, it just happened to be a fit for us. There may be, a, and my siblings continue to remind me, that there may be a point at which, you know, I need to consider otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. And so far, you know, that has not been necessary. But I don't really know what's coming. I, I mean, I feel like I'm somewhat educated about how the disease progresses, but how it's expressed in my mom has always been surprising. Um, you know, I, I keep being surprised by it. I shouldn't, but I keep being surprised by it. Um, and, you know, I, I I have to stay open to the fact that there's a point at which I'm not the best person to care for her any longer, and she needs a different scenario. Um, and so, you know, that's part of why I ask, how do you differentiate between we can do this here or no we need you know more of that care community uh situation so yeah yeah and i don't i don't really think there is a hard answer to that i mean it might be a situation where you you know consider respite from a home care provider where you know they do come in occasionally throughout the week and you know offer you some reprieve to be able to do some Mm self-care but also um if that isn't a good fit, if that doesn't end up being a good fit is, you know, searching, searching for care communities that, you know, um, specialize in memory care and dementia care. Um, And you can visit. And like I said, you know, have your mom go in and visit and feel like, is this a good fit for her? Um, Mm -hmm. How does she respond and react to the environment around her? But yeah, so there's not a hard answer one way or the other. Right. Yes, and speaking of that, I I do have um, relief each week built in. That was something that we established right at the beginning. So on Wednesday evenings, I do a bowling league, and I have a person that comes in and covers for me. And on Saturdays, I have several hours to to go and do my own thing, um, which sometimes is just sleeping in. You know, I mean, sometimes it's really simple. Um, and other times I'm off doing activities and the like. But um, yeah, it's really important. And then on occasion, the the harder one to arrange is like a long weekend, um, you know, to get away for, a, you know, a longer period of time. And while that has happened, um, you know, several times in the last three years of me being my mom's caregiver, um, it probably isn't happening enough. And so that one's trickier though, because it involves the overnights in the home and, you know, it's not so easy to find a way to manage that, you know, even with an agency, you know, it's, you can't just find a person who's going to be able to stay there the whole weekend, you know? So that, that's been the struggle. And so it, it really comes to the next question that I have. And for so for those listeners that are providing care for a family member with dementia, what support systems and self-care routines seem to be the most important to sustaining the quality care without burning out? Yeah, first, uh, first of all, I just want to kind of step back a moment sure. and just let you know and your listeners know that, you know, home care or, you know, engaging home care for respite you know, they provide 24-7 care. So um, overnights and weekends, if you feel like you find a beach vacation you want to head out to, yeah. um, that that is there for you. Okay. But as far as um, advice here with, you know, avoiding burnout and, and providing care, um, the best self-care routines really, 
I think uh, for you and your loved one is um, ensuring that the structure is there to alleviate anxiety for you or your loved one. I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, physical exercise. Um, you can tailor that to the individual's abilities. Uh, exercise promotes circulation and muscle strength. Um, this is something that you guys can do together and both can reap rewards that status, you know, that staying active provides for individuals. Um, also creating a consistent routine with ADLs, you know, that can minimize the stress um, on the care receiver um, as well as the caregiver. You found out what works well for you and your mom was showering and it's just really understanding and keeping that routine as much as possible. Um, when I think about nutrition and hydration, um, you know, thinking about healthy habits when it comes to nutrition and hydration is very important uh, that you can sprinkle into meals and snacks. Um, effective communication is always key, you know, emphasizing that good eye contact, the clear language, patience, um, asking one question at a time, and giving the person the time to answer and try not to feel compelled to fill in the blanks as they're trying to gather their thoughts mm -hmm. to finish a sentence. Right. Right. Yeah. My mom's dementia is to the point now where if she asks a question and I know you were talking about the caregiver asking a question, but in the case that she asks a question, if I've asked her to repeat it, because sometimes I need to, um, she can't remember the question. So we're getting to the point now where that, really sh that short-term memory is impacting even that sort of thing so if I ask her a question it's hard for her to hang on to what the actual question was and not go off onto wherever her brain takes her so mm -hmm. you know after 45 seconds she's not answering the question anymore because she's moved on to you know something else so that does make it more challenging uh, to have that engagement just because of how long she can or can't hold on to a thought. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's where one question at a time comes in and giving the time. And then if the mind wanders and, you know, she's unable to, you know, focus on the question at a hand, it's okay. It's all right to yep. move on. Yep. Uh, you spoke about hydration. Uh, caregivers, be hydrated yourselves. Um, but my, how do you overcome some of the challenge of the person who uh, has dementia staying hydrated when they really would rather not, you know, drink, you know, the water or the whatever, you know, for my mom, again, she's okay if the water's the correct temperature, it should not be too cold. Um, and she's okay you know, if it's just water, she's fine. She really doesn't like much else. Um, but we've gotten to the point where even water is like, mm. you know, so it's more of a struggle on a day-to-day -day basis to keep her hydrated. And that can cause some stress uh, for me because I know that if she doesn't stay hydrated, we're going to end up with other issues uh, related to that. Um, and so how do you go about helping there without stressing yourself out yeah absolutely i i think it's really like just meeting them where they are i always say that um but i you know if it's if it's flavor that they need and that they're needing like putting some fruit in the water kind of enhancing the taste that might be a thing 
The other thing, it reminds me a little bit of when we were trying to get, you know, kids when they were little to drink because they never drank either. Yeah. You know, they never drank enough water. And it was, you know, we started this thing um, in our family where we'd have a glass of water and it was like, oh, it's time to take a drink. And we'd always cheers, you know, we'd cheers to yeah. take a drink. So um, that added a little bit more of um excitement around you know being able to take a drink and so we would kind of set goals like we need to drink this much by this time of day mm -hmm. and just you know if i'm drinking you drink and if you drink i drink so okay. um, doing things together is you know if if it's early on and you can explain the benefits of hydration definitely but you know later on when you're kind of struggling to get them to reap the benefits of being hydrated it's just like i'm drinking you drink and, okay and then, you know, the, like I said, adding the fruit or something tasty into the water might be a little bit more of an enticer. Yeah. Yeah, we've tried the flavors. That so far has not, uh, we have not hit on the flavor yet. <laughs> no. <laughs> there might not be one. I don't know. But um, <laughs> the the encouraging around the drinking, we've I've been doing more of. And, you know, my brother is a joker. And he's <laughs> every time he comes over, he's like, okay, mom. I'm drinking. You got a drink. Here we go. Chug it up. <laughs> you know, yeah, he, he makes a good that, game out of it. And she, he, she responds to that. So I think that is great. And just think of all the other things that you could incorporate that would stay hydrated, like popsicles or jello, you know, mm -hmm. um, just things that would, you know, not necessarily be a glass of water, but right. that, you know, would lend a hydration. Yeah. Good. So when we spoke uh, to prep for the episode, you mentioned that caregivers could really benefit from the contents of a guide called Pathways to Well-Being with Dementia from the Dementia Action Alliance. And I've included links to the manual and also to the organization in the episode description. But um, I'm wondering if you could provide a high level of uh, overview of what is in that manual uh, that caregivers could take advantage of. Absolutely. And thank you, Christoph, for linking these. Um, this is a great free practical resource. And, and I love it because it was written, it was written by those people who are living with dementia, and I call them the true experts. Mm -hmm. And also other professional individuals contributed as well. And it is full of tons of great information for like individuals who are living with dementia and their caregivers. Um, it also offers some great insights, some science-based information and inspiration um, for proactively um, living a, a, as closely as you can um, with the individual. Um, also, um, please keep in mind that it is a guide, as you mentioned, it is not meant to be read cover to cover. Um, my sec a suggestion or recommendation would be, you know, visit the table of contents. And if a topic sparks interest, um, you can navigate to that set that section and absorb all the good information that it has to offer at that time. Mm -hmm. And then just on a side note, um, the Dementia Action Alliance is currently working on an updated version. So keep an eye out for that. Okay. Yeah, because the thing is several hundred pages long. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I downloaded it, it, you know, again, as you say, free. Um, and so you give them your email address and you get the link and you can download the thing. Uh, but as you say, the index is uh, there to go into very specific topic areas um, of whatever it is that is your um, area of concern at that time. So, yeah, I have I have definitely been 
uh, glossing over at this point uh, what's in there. Uh, but it looks like there's uh, a treasure trove of information that uh, would be helpful as as I continue to do this job. Yep. So uh, you also mentioned your work with Dr. Al Power, who is a geriatrician and author of a couple of books about dementia and dementia care. So could you tell listeners about your work with Dr. Power and what all that's leading to? Yes, absolutely. So I'm super excited about the project we're working on. Um, currently, HomeWatch Caregivers is in the works of rolling out a proprietary certified dementia care specialist training. Um, it was co-developed with Dr. Al Power and Christoph, as you mentioned, he is a geriatrician and dementia care expert. Um, also, you mentioned the books. Um, they are Dementia Beyond Drugs and Dementia Beyond Disease are the two books that he authored. Um, the insights from those books have been incorporated into the certification. So uh, that training, super excited about that. Okay. So what would that do for me, the caregiver, that certification process? Yeah. So um, what we are currently going to be offering is not only to train um, our franchisees, um, in their locations throughout the United States, but they will be essentially train the trainer for their caregivers to make sure that they are even, you know, layered more with expertise to be able to go in and provide that quality care. But also each franchisee can offer to the family caregivers that, you know, they are providing care for with um, someone living with dementia to be able to sit alongside and take those uh, that certification as well. Um, we don't have it out into the the big world, if you will, where yep. anybody can take access to that, but it's not completely off the table. Okay, got it. Yeah, I, because I feel like I'm learning on the job, right? You know, a lot of this is pulling together the resources that I've been able to find uh, and then searching for more uh, to figure it out, listening to people uh, who have experience. Um, but I don't feel certified in any way. <laughs> so am I an expert? No, I've just been doing it. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully well, but uh, definitely not an expert on, on this job at this point. So it's uh, it seems like a lot. It's kind of the school of hard knocks, if you will. So like, well, that did not work. I, we won't, we won't repeat. We that. won't try that again. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and so you mentioned again, home watch caregivers. So just to reiterate for listeners, um, they can call just for a free evaluation of where they are, whether they end up using your services or not. So how do you talk about what that call could be? Yeah. So, um, we, we call it an inquiry call. We want people to be able to reach out and, you know, have a discussion of, you know, what they're experiencing, what kinds of help they might need, you know, assistance with, um, those types of things. There's no obligation. Um, we do in-home free consultations where we can kind of establish, is this a good fit for you right now? Is it, you know, does a, one of our service lines meet you where you are? Um, we never close the door on that. Um, if the person wants to venture down the road in a different uh, for a different solution, that is always fine. We always want them to come back. 
Um, one thing I will mention that is um, free to listeners who want to take advantage, we do have a newsletter that our franchisees send out um, electronically that if, um, you know, if you want to sign up and provide an email, you can be informed on various topics of this newsletter. So um, the door is never shut. You can always cross over that bridge again and reconnect with um, us as a home care provider and a possible solution for what you are going through. Okay, great. I will sign on to the newsletter. That's easy to do. So, and, and if a person doesn't happen to be in one of your 248 service areas, then you're still trying to help connect them with someone that can help them locally, right? Absolutely. Um, our franchise network, you know, they have a lot of networks within their community mm -hmm. and build relationships um, that reach far outside their territories. And they're able to, in most cases, be able to refer an individual if they don't service them, if they're not in their service area, they can provide, you know, an outreach of resources that they can connect with maybe another home care for provider that's closest to them or another resource or solution that's closer to them. Okay, great. That's good to know. So, Nicole, thank you again for coming. Is there anything else that you want to leave listeners with, whether they're caregiving role with someone or they have a family member who is uh, doing that? What, what do you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I will quote Dr. Power here. He gives us a new definition of dementia that is, uh, he says, dementia is a shift in the way a person experiences the world around him or her. Mm. If we can start seeing dementia with a more disability mindset and by understanding how people's experience and abilities are shifting, we can create accommodations to help them continue to succeed. And just like building ramps for a person who requires to be living in a wheelchair, in this case, we can build ramps that are cognitive and we can transform care to help that person adjust for those difficulties. I would also like to re recommend to listeners who are providing support to someone living with dementia to always remember that enriching relationships involves understanding and addressing unmet needs through attentive observation of the person's expressions. And also be gentle on yourself and take time to smell the roses. You cannot effectively provide care for someone if you don't care for yourself first. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is always a good reminder to take care of yourself first. Hard to do. Again, Nicole, thank you very much for joining us here on Living with Alzheimer's podcast. Um, hopefully we have shared some resources with listeners that they can utilize. That is the goal of this podcast is just to connect people with resources. So thank you for being a person that can help with that process. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with Alzheimer's. Please podcast episodes. We'll see you next time on the Living with Alzheimer's podcast.